this morning I want to do something a little different. I don't always like to do this. I just, it's necessary and it's needed. We're going to have some family business this morning. So I'm not going to do preaching so much. I will preach. I always will preach. That's just who I am. But it's going to be very practical. I'm going to tell some stories, tell about where we are as a church. It's just good to, you know, it's good to have family business sometimes. And the reason I say I don't like to do it is I just, if you know me for more than, well, five minutes, you'll know that I love the Word. And I love the Word. But this morning, I want to speak a little bit about who we are as Free Life. And it dawned on me the other day that there's so many new people. And I know with summer coming up, I can see there's a lot of people away today. But it's just something that's very, very important. So I'm going to give a little bit of a brief history, just where we come from, and a little about where we are, and then what are we actually doing here as Free Life. And I hope it's helpful to you. And you all say, yes, yes, amen, wonderful. So, brief history. For 14 years, we were in a school, and it was an amazing season. Some of you, many of you were there. Some of you have been here since the beginning. But it is tough in a school, setting up, taking down every week. The people traveled. They worked hard. And so we said, Lord, help us. Get us out of here. And three weeks later, we got a, a notice saying you have 45 days to vacate which was interesting. Nothing bad. They were doing renovations, and we ended up moving to Evergreen Church. It was the only place available. We were there for nine months. There's a lot in this, obviously, I'm not going to go into, but we were there for nine months, and then we landed here about a year ago. And since we have landed here, well, my goodness, it's been a season of fast growth. It really has. We've been running behind to catch up, and it's been good. It's all good good things, good problems to have, yeah, when you're running behind to catch up. And we've been doing our best to steward what God is doing, and He is doing amazing things. I cannot tell you that the amount of testimonies that we have pouring in is difficult for us to keep up. I'm not exaggerating. It really is. It's difficult. I mean, even this week, I'm getting emails, texts, phone calls, just some of the stuff that God is doing in people's hearts, in families. is just amazing. But I realized through this process that Many of you may not even be aware a little bit of the history. Not that it matters. It doesn't matter where we come from. In a sense, it's more about where we're going. But some of you may not even be aware that we have a seven-acre property as a church. It just dawned on me the other day. Some people may have no clue. Who didn't know that? Yeah, okay, a whole bunch. So, we have a seven-acre property as a church down there on Shreve Mill, the corner of Shreve Mill and Evergreen. And it was originally our desire to build there. I preached probably two or three hundred sermons in that house. It's a house with a barn and all sorts of things. But right now it's caught up with the Loudoun Comprehensive Plan. You know, the board, they're meeting for the 2040 to plan the next 20 years. It's ending about this month. And so we don't know what's going to happen because there could be transitional zones and changes of zoning and all sorts of things are right now up in the air. So... We can't really invest any money. We can't really do anything in that property, largely because it may just go to developers eventually. We don't know. It's in a transitional state. So there's more on that. We'll let you know as soon as we know. But some of us, in a sense, grew up there in this church. We really did. So it has a special place in our heart. We just don't know what God has for that place just yet. How many of you have come to this church since we've been in this building? Okay, take a look around. Keep your hands really high. Okay. Lots of people. So, so 
you may arrive here on Sunday, and there's a lot of history we could go into and honor my mother and father and people that have been around for years. They planted the church basically with $100 in their back pocket in God's Word. That was it. And, you know, four couples. But if you arrive here on a Sunday, you may look around and say, oh, it looks great. They're doing great. You don't need any help. And I will tell you that's not true. Because behind the scenes, there has been a staff of only three people with a small group of volunteers. And we probably, we've probably doubled. We've had about 90 people come through Discovery Course in the last year, which is quite a lot. And we've about doubled. It depends on a Sunday. You know how it is. They go up and down with Sundays. We were struggling then with three staff and a small group of volunteers. And we have the same size. Nothing's changed. And so you can imagine when we say we've been running to catch up, we genuinely, genuinely had everything here we had to buy. We had to buy chairs because we were in the school. We couldn't lug these around. We had fold-up chairs. We had to buy chairs, buy the sound, build this place out, everything. So for those of you that come in here, you may be not aware of some of that. And it was a miraculous story how we landed here, which I don't have time to get into. But I want to communicate my heart this morning, and I hope that you don't hear what I'm not saying because it's good to have some family business. I am right now the only paid pastor, and we are in desperate need of more. Desperate need of more. We really, really are. We would love to be able to employ someone for the youth, someone full-time in a sense for worship, or have my wife refocus her time. But finances don't allow us to do that right now. Who knows when people keep saying, we're in a busy season. You say to your wife, it's just a busy season. Well, my wife and I said that to each other for three years. And when we realized the busy season had become a busy life, we thought, okay, we have to make some changes. So we stepped back from constantly doing instant fixes. The way my wife said the phrase was actually, I think it was inspired actually. She said it was like a deck. Everyone's standing out on the deck and the weight would get more, just the administration, the people, the needs, the council. And so every time we would put a quick fix, John Gannow, he'd understand, he's a builder. We just put a two by four there, and then a two by four there, and a two by four there. And it, it worked for a little while, but when you've done that for a long time, because when you're here till midnight, and there's three of you, and volunteer staff that are pretty much a full-time, it's just so much you, you cannot keep it in. Yet God's doing amazing things. So people are excited, and there's so much work that goes in, but people come, they're like, oh, it looks covered, it's great. And so we realized, you know what we've got to do? Jen said, <laughs> just the way she phrased it was excellent, we've got to take the deck off the building. We've got to push everyone inside, say, go inside, we have to rebuild structure, administration, from scratch. And so that's what we've been trying to do for the last six months to a year. And we knew this might slow the growth, but growth was never our goal. We never even advertised. People just started to come. I don't know where you all came from. <laughs> I'm being honest. People just started to come. I don't know how they heard. I mean, I once went and picked up a cake for something. I think it was my mother's 60th, I think. I cannot remember. A cake from, you know, the, like an Etsy store, like someone working out of their house. And they asked what I do, and I said, I'm the pastor. And a place called Free Life Church. They said, that's that new church. Because that's how people think, because now we have a building. That's that new church. I've heard about you. And I think, how, the, how did you hear about it? Like, I just... So somehow, people arrived, and we grew, and we grew, and we grew fast. So it wasn't our concern to slow the growth, but we have to build in such a way that we can scale. We have to. Otherwise, it's unhealthy. So we had many decisions to make quickly, very quickly. And all the while, 
there's a lot of people that are adjusting from a smaller church mindset to a slightly mid-sized church. I think 70% of the churches uh, of believers in the United States go to a church and I think under 70 people. So, you know, to move to a slightly more mid-sized church changes the way we think. So we still had everyone phoning for counseling, for help. Go visit my children, help me with this. It's in our heart desire to do that, but with three staff, it just wasn't possible. It just wasn't possible. So we needed help with counseling. We needed help with administration. So we hired a media company thinking that would be great. We hired them, and it was great. So more people came because they made our website better and our, our social media and stuff we weren't even doing. So we're like, okay, well, that's wonderful. And so then we hired a consultant, which has been very helpful to us, to help us define this process to help us look from the outside and define a process. Not something that I would naturally do to hire a consultant. I don't think like that. I'm just being real. I'm a preacher. I love the Lord. But we've done that, and due to that, we are hiring a director of church operations, director of all things, which we are very excited about, and they will be starting soon. But my wife is a very gifted administrator. She genuinely is. And she has been at the center, and I'll just read it, at most of these things, she has been at the center, as well as leading worship, running a home, being a mother, being a pastor's wife, and what people think that looks like, and everything else that goes with it. She's been at the center of, of all of that. And so I knew we couldn't carry on like that. And so there have been many times when we've been here till midnight, which is great that so we're living the dream. It's true. But there started to come a choice. Do I go and take that phone call and see that person? Do I actually spend time with my children? And I've just chosen my children. I really have, and I will continue to do that. So just we need help, and we need more. We just need more because God is doing amazing things. And as we announced a little while ago, Kerry Cressy, who took over about four years ago from the Children's Church and really built it up from almost nothing. She's the one who took it full-time. She's leaving us at the end of this month. She's going to a school of ministry which she was accepted into, which is great and very exciting. But she's taking, it's on the other side of the country, and she's taking a, half of a family with her. So at the end of this month, we have about between 8 and 11 people that are stepping out of that ministry in a day. You know, and what they do there is incredible. Really, I, genuinely, it's amazing. There's no junior Holy Spirit. And they have a passion and a heart and a belief for that. As well as Benjamin Cressy, who's her son, but he's an adult. He's his own person. He's leading junior youth right now. At the same time, he's let us know recently, he's also stepping aside just for all that's going on in their family and good things that are happening in his life. So the needs go up. And yet God's like, well, I'm not slowing down. So you need to sort things out. So it's been wonderful. Financially, financially, even with all the growth, we are still running at a loss almost every month. And it's not something that I'm putting on anyone. Here's our source. But even with hiring, hiring the director of church operations, we're hiring in faith. And we desperately need another pastor, like a full-time person who's dedicated because we want to care and shepherd and look after. And Yeah? God brings people where they can be cared for. We would love to hire, at least start to put a lot more money towards the youth. You know, it's my ultimate goal that a large part of the finance that we bring in here goes to kingdom outside of this building, outside of this church. But if you look at the early church, it's fascinating. I, I'm tempted to preach on it. I won't. Help me, Lord Jesus. I love the early church, 
but you know the first seven chapters was about seven years and they largely spent all that time taking care of themselves all the finance all the it was dealing with all the stuff within them and taking care of themselves and the widows and the, the hurts and the marriages and the all that stuff for seven years so with this building for example so we, we're hiring which is great we've hired I was going to announce who it is, but I forgot to ask her about that, so I didn't want to surprise her. But we've hired in faith, which is wonderful, but we could use more. We really could. We could, we could hire another two to three people full-time, and there would still be more need for staff. It really would be. And so, <laughs> with the mortgage on the Shreve Mill property, seven acres, and with the lease on this building, our facility costs, not salaries, not expenses, just facility, just to come here. It's between twenty-five and twenty-eight thousand dollars a month, which is actually not unreasonable. It sounds crazy, but it's very cheap for what it could be considered. Like if we go to Fairfax, I mean, the, the property amount per foot is unbelievable. It's like thirty to forty-five dollars per square foot. We got this for I think like thirteen. So you can imagine. So that's before we do anything else. But God, can we say but God? But God, God is doing truly amazing things. And we still, I really, I know I keep saying this, but we cannot keep up with the testimonies. Just the other day, we were in an encounter night, and, and there's many since then that just comes to my mind now. There's a young lady here, probably 16 or 15, I'm not sure. And when she was about 9 or 10, she had an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord spoke to her, and she wrote it down on a piece of paper. And the Lord said these words to her, I am with you, I will be with you forever. And it changed her. Changed the lives meant a lot to her. While we're worshiping the encounter night, and I hear the Lord say to me so clearly, stop the worship, I want to give people answers. And I wrestled with it. Because I never want to make it about a person. You don't want to make it about a pedestal. Look at the guy who probably just, it's not our heart. Because that's, is predominantly for worship that evening. To worship, worship. And so, you know, when you say no Lord, and then he reminds you those words don't go together. And uh, so, you know, I had a little wrestle with the Lord, and we stopped the worship, and she prayed. This is crazy. I got this email. She prayed. She said, Lord, who knows when you, God really moves, you have an encounter with God, but in years to come, you start to think, was that in my head? Was that, who's had this before? Who knows what, I, yeah, it's normal. It's great. You're not crazy. And she said, Lord, I really want to know that that was you. If this was you. Now, I know we've all said this, and it hasn't happened which I cannot explain right now. But she says, and she's a young girl, 16. She says, God, if that was you, have that man stop the meeting and tell me the same thing. A couple minutes later, I stopped the meeting and I, I called her out. I never met her before. And I said, I don't know who you are. The Lord says that he is with you forever. You know, when that happens, you know, you, something happens for that girl. And so God is doing things like this all the time. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But we're having salvations, healings. And we want to say more God. We really want to say more God. But we also need to speak just family business. Just family business. So this morning, I'd like to speak to you from my heart. I'm going to do my best in the next half an hour to simply share part of the dream that God has put in my heart that I know was in my parents' heart, but it grows. Things build in God's kingdom. Part of the dream that's in, 
It's in my heart for this church, for this region. I have often found it to be very vulnerable. I have often found it difficult to communicate the dream that's in my heart. Because it's different to preaching. I love to preach, but to communicate the stuff that God puts in my heart, is, it hasn't been that easy for me in the past. Because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. And you don't want to just kind of lose people and they kind of like, whoa, buddy. So I've tried to make it as simple and as clear as possible. Because we're in this together, but we cannot be in this together if you don't know what it is. Yeah, it needs to be clear. So, I felt the Lord put it on my heart to just tell you a little bit about me, which, again, I don't like to do, but a little bit of the environment that I grew up in. From the ages of four to nine, we were living in a state called Cape Town in South Africa. And there are many things I could say, but to cut it short, my dad was used to, I don't know how to explain it, just pretty much soon after he got saved, he went into ministry within six months with no formal training. And God used them to usher in something into that region that I could not describe to you. I remember seeing the power of God was a weekly occurrence. And we grew up in an atmosphere. It was it's just un- incredible. It's just incredible. And it was in a Presby church, Presbyterian church. That's where, the, that's where we started. I saw more the display of God's splendor there than I probably have ever seen since. And I remember so many deliverances and I just a couple stories. I could, I could literally do this for a day without stop talking, just story after story. When you grow up in it, there's so many. And some of the deliverances, and some of you may not understand this or may make you uncomfortable, I'm okay with that. Ask Dwayne the questions after it, he has all the answers. Um, I remember seeing deliverances, weekly deliverances. My sister was there she'll tell you and uh, the supernatural was in our home was in our home it was tangible and uh, I remember one time my dad was casting out a demon out of this young boy I say young boy now then he was older than me he was about 14 and I was about six and I was leaning like this my dad was on his haunches and I was leaning on my dad's shoulder like this looking at this boy (laughs) who was older than me and he was smashing his head against the door this is what the spirit will do try to destroy you especially when they in a sense you're casting out a demon but I don't want to start talking about deliverance they manifest just like they did in the Bible and this boy but it's a spirit inside of him got so mad at my dad that he lunged forward and tried to strangle my father and I remember in my heart as a child not being afraid at all and I saw this guy's hands go around my dad's neck and I was standing right there and his arm was here and I saw the muscles you know he's a big guy like he was squeezing with everything he could, but he couldn't get it within about that much of my dad. Here he just stopped. He couldn't touch him. And I had an understanding that day. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't think we understand what that means. And I became just unafraid of the demonic. He'd actually try to come from me as well. I remember my dad just said, nope. <laughs> and that was the end of that. You know, but we grew up around it. Parents, don't be afraid to let your kids see the supernatural. I, I encourage you. Then, when I was about five, I remember five or six, all of this, I don't really remember the age, but I used to sometimes find a little box or a little crate, turn it upside down and stand on there and begin to preach. Just began to preach. My sister would sit and listen to me. And I'd sometimes mock the, I'd mock the people on TV. You know, I'd always preach on the armor of God and I would pick up the belt and you tell the truth and throw it on the ground 
you know, just preach in that atmosphere. That's what we grew up in. But I remember there were times, I remember the one time, I went outside, I was about six or seven, and I just preached to the trees and the grass. You know, children don't do that. <laughs> but to us, it was just normal. I remember one time again, just a few more, I was terribly ill. So sick. You know when it's coming out all parts of you. I'm sorry to be so graphic. <laughs> but I was sick, about six or seven. My parents were praying for me and I wasn't getting healed. And I said to my dad, Dad, pray harder. <laughs> he said, I'm trying, son. And so my parents went back to the bedroom. They didn't desert me, but I was in the bathroom. And I remember praying and I said, Lord, actually I said, Jesus, please heal me. And God invaded that bathroom. You know, my hair was all wet and matted and my clothes were... My mother says when I went in, I said, Jesus healed me. She said, my hair was clean, my clothes were clean. The night I got saved, I uh, was about, again, six or seven. We were singing an old song in the church called Take My Life and Let It Be. Who knows that song? I, love, I still cannot listen to that song. I just, I'll break down. Um, I remember singing, take my... And I just, for some reason as a child, I understood it. Take my life, take my hands, take my feet, take my silver, my gold. My life has been like that. And I looked up as we were singing that song and I saw, I don't understand this, but I saw the throne. I saw Jesus sitting on the throne. I just saw him stand up and I just wept as a little boy. And that's how I got saved. You know, my sister got saved by, and we didn't know it was getting saved. I'm just being honest. You realize later, sometimes it's real salvation, you realize later what happened. My sister got saved, she was about seven, I think it was. She was lying in her bedroom that night, we were having life group. We don't understand the power of life group sometimes, what's possible. She's lying in a bed, and there used to be an old song. I don't know if any of you remember this. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. I'm glad that you've come. It just must be an African thing. I don't know. And so she's lying in the bed, and that was her favorite song. I mean, welcome to the family. Think about what it means. And uh, she came through the next morning, and she said to my mother, she said, you know, you sang my favorite song last night. She says, but you sang it so loud. She said, I was singing and singing at the top of my voice. She sang it the best I've ever heard it singing in for so long, and... She just sang and sang. And my mother looked at her and said, Honey, we didn't have any worship last night. You know, so she got saved by the angels singing to her. And, and she heard it. Now, why do I share these things? Because people say, Wow, you, you know, you must have a strong call. Maybe. I don't think so. Not really. I, I think... I've come to understand something over the years. It's not so much this, the call of God. It's an atmosphere, an awareness. And people say they don't like the word atmosphere. Okay, It's an awareness of God, His presence and His power that was fostered, that was hosted in a region and honored in a home. And if you were there, same thing would have happened to you. Because it's not about special people or super people. It's about a, a super God. Really? And I say that because I believe with all my heart that this church has that DNA, has that, that call. And for first world people, it sometimes takes a little bit more of an undoing to embrace who God really wants to be in our midst. And I believe God has a call on this church. 
When Jen and I were in youth ministry here, we had similar things. The youth will tell you. Well, they're now adults. Similar things. Power of God. Just breaking out people. Remember the one night people came, they couldn't get in the door. We piled them up at the door. They would walk in the door and fall over. Yeah, how do you explain that to a parent who doesn't believe in that? <laughs> for God to be God, just for Him to be God, for, for Him to be unrestricted by all the boxes and stuff we put in over Him and put Him in. And it doesn't mean no order. It doesn't mean no leadership. It doesn't mean no excellence or administration. It doesn't mean that. It actually means those things need to go up. But it does mean that our personal preferences, our comforts, are really irrelevant. That's actually what it does mean. So I've been looking, I've looked back to try and make this simple and plain just about who we are. There's a book of the prophetic words that we've gotten and, and we've recorded the ones that came from genuine, prophetic, uh, trusted voices. And there's so many. But in the beginning of this church, in the first five or six years, the same three would come over and over and over. And I want to just read them to you. They're very brief. Um, the first one, actually Alice Dura, where's Alice? She read it this morning. She didn't know what I was going to preach on. She read it this morning. You know, when she read this morning something about the planting of the Lord. And this, this word came over and over. I did not birth this church because I needed another church. This church will not be a work of the hands of men, but the hand of God. And that same sentence, that same word came over and over. I did not need another church. I didn't put you here because I needed another church. And it's never been our desire, friends. Never been our desire to build a teaching center. It's never been our desire. I love to teach. But it's never been our desire to build a teaching center that people come and, and you know, experience the gifts of two people, check the box and go home. To put people on pedestals. Honor is good. Honor is healthy. But God's people activated. That's different. That's different. The other one that we kept hearing was these two words would come over and over. You guys are called to be a base church and a beachhead. Now base is, if you think of a military, is a place that trains you, provides the necessary equipment for you, that whatever you need in order to win. That's what a base is. It focuses on trust, obedience, and team, and so forth. And a beachhead, you know, a beachhead where they would invade and establish a presence on a beachhead, and from there, strategies. And the other one was a place of freedom. That word, over and over, a place of freedom, where the captives will be set free from whatever ails them, sicknesses, disease, addictions. So, as Free Life Church, <laughs> we watched something as the leadership at the beginning of the year that helped me to, how do we make this simple? How do we make it simple? So I'm going to try to do that for you this morning, quickly. Is that good? In order to remain laser focused, because there's a lot we could be busy with. Who knows that? You can keep yourself busy with a lot, very easily, especially as a church. We get about a million suggestions every week, you know. We should do this, or we should do that. There's much to do, but what has God called us to be? What has God called us to do? What are we doing? I'm going to answer these three questions. Why are we doing it? And where do I personally fit in? Because people want to know that. Andy Stanley came up with these, and I think they're great. So what are we doing? We're building a culture where people know God. It's really that simple. 
What are we doing? What free life church? What are we? If you had to go somewhere and speak, what do you do? What's the what's the heart? What's the focus? We're building a culture where people know God. The Lord spoken to my heart some time ago about this, and as I, I look back over the past few years, I see that pretty much most everything I preach has this at its core: knowing God, knowing God, because of I grew up like that. It's a passion in my heart. It's a passion of my heart to know the Lord, to know the Lord. Much of my time with people is spent removing obstacles that man has put there. Religious, dead religion from man. Rejection, fear, mistrust, abuse of leadership, whatever. All the obstacles that men and people have put in place for others to genuinely know and walk with the Lord. Much of my time is spent removing those obstacles. Much of my preaching is spent removing those obstacles so that people can see what Jesus truly paid for. What does it mean to know the Lord? Where having fellowship with God actually means something. Actually when it means something. Without any guilt. Without any guilt attached. I should pray more right now. Without any guilt attached. Because you know him. You know his heart. Where being a Christian is not a title, but a life. Take my life, let it be. It's not a title, it's a life. It's a life lived. A people who are changed. A people whose homes are changed. Like lighthouses in a dark world. Friends, it's a far cry from attending church. I really mean that. It may start there, but to build a culture where people know God or can learn to know God. It's a far cry from attending church. If we go to church to check the box, we've completely misunderstood the kingdom. Completely. Completely. To know the Lord, it colors this free life, it colors pretty much of everything what we do. It's why we worship the way we do. To worship in spirit and in truth, the Bible says, is to have fellowship with the Lord. And we've learned over the past 15, 16 years, we've learned it does not come from effort. It comes from surrender. It comes from surrender, from yieldedness. Not from effort, not from striving, from yieldedness. So, to build a culture where people know God. Now, I could stand here and point to a million evidences. How do you know that's happening? How do you know this is working? How do you? Well, firstly, you'll be uncomfortable. You'll be uncomfortable. Any person who genuinely met the Lord in the Bible, Isaiah, would see the Lord and he said, Woe is me. And Peter had a revelation of Christ in the boat. He said, depart from me. To know the Lord, it can start with a, it's very jolting in the beginning, and then you know his love. But what is the evidence? What is the genuine power? Yes. Miracles? Yes. Healings? Yes. Salvations? Yes. All those things. Great. We want all those things. It's our desire. It's our DNA. What is the genuine evidence when you build a culture of people that know the Lord? Well, it becomes evident by how we treat one another and how we love one another. It's the greatest evidence. I've always said, the degree to which you know the Lord is revealed by how you treat other people. It's true. See, in this culture, friends, and, and I, I'm not going to justify this, I just, just trust my heart, I'm asking you. Huh. Things like gossip, things like slander, things like offense, things like those things, that most churches just kind of say it's fine, those are more severe than someone like this great sin 
someone falls or someone, I'm not talking about that, we're okay with that, but those people we actually draw close to. You know, the things that the world, that the church goes, oh, those are bad things. Those things, we actually pull those people close, they need love. But this other stuff is destructive. Very destructive. And it comes against the very fiber of knowing the Lord. I'm not actually too concerned about people's flaws and faults. And I don't want them to do it. I want them to be free. Not because I want them to behave. Because I want them to know Him. And when they know Him, that stuff will, stuff will leave. It loses its affection. It loses its interest. The Israelites are known to continually forget what God had done for them. How many of you have been amazed by that? You read the Bible, it's like every few pages. You're like, how can you forget? Again, again. It's like they had spiritual amnesia. I often am amazed. But you know, it always led to the same thing. Every time that happened, it led to the same thing. It says they murmured against Moses. And I'm not talking about me. I'm not trying to say I'm Moses and don't complain. But they murmured against Moses every time. Because why? They forget. Complaining always comes because we forget what God's doing and what God's done. Always. Always. And, and friends, we really are still like that today. I dream of a church where the majority of a, of a local church, the majority of people, see through that scheme and understand what it is to know the Lord. See, we say, God, we would love your river to flow from this church. Or Bible says the river will flow from within you. But corporately, it can flow from a church. You know that? Yeah, the Bible says that. So the river of God, the power, the life, the love of God to flow from a church. Well, the Bible describes that river as being filled with fish of many kinds. Which means family that you do not know or that you do not understand. And so there's a requirement for us to embrace something that might make us uncomfortable because it comes with a culture where people know the Lord. Where people genuinely know the Lord. I could carry on with that, but it's, it's a deep value that we carry for encounter. Encountering the Lord. Not just power, just in your heart too. Yes, healing's a bit in your heart. So what are we doing as free life? What are we doing? We're building a culture, can we say it together? Where, peop where people know God. Yeah. That is my heart's desire for every individual. Why? That's what we're doing. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? People say, okay, that's great, but why? You have to clarify the why. Because it's what God wants. And it's what the world needs. It's very simple. I try to make this as non-spiritual as possible. It's what God wants, and it's what the world needs. What's at stake? Have you ever asked that question about yourself, your life? Some of you think, well, I'm not worth anything. That just is evidence that you don't know his heart. He doesn't make things cheap, and he made you. What's at stake? What goes away when we go away? It's a question I've often had. God is a definite call upon every church. I love every church in this region. They're called to be who they are. But if they go away, who they call to be goes away. If we go away, who we are called to be, the DNA that we carry, will also go away. We desperately need to succeed. Because we are placed here for a purpose. We are. We have a purpose here in this region. And it's to bring the supernaturalness of God. It's to bring them the relationship with the Lord. 
It genuinely is. Why? It's what God wants. Why? Why do I say that? Well, it's how Jesus defined eternal life. Eternal life, that they may know you. Not living forever. That's not like children's church. Eternal life, Jesus said, is that they may know you and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. That's what Jesus defined as eternal life. It is what God wants. If you do not believe that God wants a relationship with you more than you could ever want with him, he does. Why else? Well, it came at great cost. I'm not sure we'll ever fully understand what it cost the Lord. But I know this, that freedom always comes at a cost. You ask anyone in the military, freedom doesn't come free. Yeah? feels free for us but it cost him everything Jesus paid the highest price to remove every impediment every obstacle every religious argument every statute every ordinance every written code everything to remove it so that you could have personal access to Yahweh to Jehovah to God Almighty God he paid the highest price for that one thing and then he defined it so that you may know my Father. That you may be empowered by His personal Spirit. See, we get so religious, Holy Spirit, God, you forget what it means. <laughs> to be personally empowered by the very personal Spirit that is in God. Jesus paid the price to make sure that that's possible for individuals. <laughs> that's what eternal life is. Let me quickly mention some things out of the book of Acts. Friends, I don't think we can understand what a major shift it was for the early church. I don't think we have any clue. What do I mean? Well, you go read the first five or six, seven chapters of Acts. Their whole world was turned upside down, inside out, left to right, back to front. Their whole world. Their whole world. There was now no earthly mediator. Priest system, gone. Temple system, gone. Sacrifices, gone. Their whole world, from the moment they woke up to the moment they went to sleep, everything that they did, they did no more. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to relate to people. Why? It changed their understanding of who God was. Think about that. Think about that. When the fire of God came in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible says the tongue sat on each of them, yeah? Tongues of fire. You know what that meant for them? The fire of God had always come upon a nation. They understood this means it's no longer national. It's individual. They understood that. It says it sat upon each of them individually. Never before experienced. They understood this. something's changed. There's something that's been opened. And can I say this? And it's good to say some of those people were women. I don't see that in the drawings. That's what the Bible says. There were women there. And in the Jewish culture, that wasn't okay. Jesus said, yeah, I think it's great. There were women there with the fire, with speaking tongues, declaring the wonders of God. And when the people came, it says half the crowd didn't understand them. Why? Because they were Judeans. They were Galileans. They didn't understand the supernatural languages. That's the ones who mocked. The other half were Judeans. I mean, were Hellenists. They were Greek people. They understood all the different languages. And those are the ones who were amazed and perplexed. They said, How is this possible? How is 
They had never seen. Imagine Jewish man seeing a woman declare the wonders of God. Because the Spirit of God has come upon her. And so Peter starts standing up and starts to speak, uh, speak about Joel. He said, this is what Joel said would happen. My spirit will be pulled out of all flesh. And then he goes on to explain. It's not race. It's not sex or gender. He says, upon men servants and maid servants and young and old and poor and rich and equalized. Whew. Never has that happened before to them. He said, it's now all the same. Hello? Never experienced that. Changed everything. Not social status anymore, people. <laughs> it changed their homes. Changed their homes completely. When then Peter preaches a sermon, it says at the end, they were completely, in my words, completely undone. Cut to the heart. Didn't know what to do. It's like they're saying, I don't know what to do. I've never seen this stuff. Something is coming. I don't know. What must I do? And he says this. Repent, that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, that's the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise is to you and your children. I'd like you to imagine for just a second with me. I, I'm trying to put you there so you understand how much changed. These are Jewish men. They had to go home to wives and children. They've been told, this promise is for your family, for your children. And I know it meant generations. But those men had to go home. Imagine coming home to seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, twelve-year-old little Jewish boy who's raised, taught by his father, raised his entire life in a Jewish temple system. Hours of study, hoping maybe I can be in the rabbinical order. Maybe this, that's his whole world. And his dad comes home and says, son, Jesus was the Messiah. We missed it. And he says, but daddy, you, you said he was a liar. You, you crucified him. Those people in this sermon, those are the people who crucified Jesus. He says, but, but daddy, you, you crucified him because you, you, you told us he was a liar and, and he was a deceiver. And... No, I was wrong. I just imagine the conversations. And to his daughter and my daughter, I, I don't know what this means because I think, I think things will change for you going forward. I don't know how, I don't know. But there were women there today doing things I've never seen and I've never done. So I think things will change for you too. I just, I don't know. That's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They didn't know what to do. That's why they devoted themselves to prayer. Because the disciples had to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. Because they had never prayed like that before. Friends, it was practical and real. It changed. I don't, it changed. So, Daddy, no more going to temple? No. No more sacrifices? No. No more waking up and doing this? No. No more. What do we do? I don't know. I don't know. But I know one. There's love in my heart. There's power in my life. My home has changed. The supernatural. Something has changed. Can you see? This? It's a shift for that entire household changed everything that means it was what uncomfortable I can imagine some wives do I even have to listen to you anymore I'm not <laughs> friends uncomfortable 
Yet it was God. It was God. Why? What's the why? It's what God. Why do we want to know? Why are we building a culture where people know God? It's what God wants. And it's what the world needs. It's desperately what the world needs. Desperately. Jesus never came to build a mega church. I'm not against a mega church. In fact, numbers, uh, the book of Acts kind of says numbers are important. I love all big churches. I come from a big church, about 2,000. But friends, let me say, he, imagine the crowds he could have pilled if he wanted to, with the signs and wonders. He spent his time investing in predominantly 12 people. We need disciples, real disciples. That's what Jesus was about, the transference of truth. As soon as Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, says, as soon as he said that, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. The transference of the truth of who he was, of why he came, of what he came to do, of where he was going, of who he would send, the Holy Spirit. When those truths were imparted, he said, I can go. Can you see it? It's different to the way we think church, yeah? That's what he paid for. And it burns in my heart to see Christians being Christians. To see Christians being free. Friends, your neighbors, and I mean this with all the love in my heart, they need transformed homes and people more than they need another church planted in their neighborhood that they will never go to. Much more. Much more. People who know God, it makes every one of your vocations ministry. It's not about being in full-time ministry. Stop thinking like that. It's doing exactly what you do, but you know Him. Being exactly where you are. It turns every home into a base, into a beachhead for His kingdom. Lighthouse. Bring Him here, yes. But your home, yeah, that's good enough too, because you're there. This is the dream that I carry in my heart. It's not unrealistic. It's what happened in here. It's our value for equip. What are we doing? We're building a culture where people know God. Why are we doing it? It's what God wants. It's what the world needs. Where do I personally fit in? We're family serving family. That's really what it is. We're family serving family. People may ask, what's my critical role? What's my unique contribution? We will be at our best if you do what you do best. You do it here. If you do what you do best and do it here, we will be at our best. We can no longer afford to be consumers. And I'm not shouting or upset at any single one of you. I totally get we're all busy. We have life. I understand. But there's a dream in the heart of God, I believe, for transformed cities. The Bible teaches that. And that doesn't come from attending church. It doesn't. It also doesn't come from churches abusing people's time and asking them to do this much and then they come and then they expect it to do this much. That's why we're doing administration to define things so that we can be very clear. Because in the past we've had people say, yeah, I want to help. And we're like, yeah, we'll get back to you because we're so busy putting two by fours. And then we don't get back because there's so much. It's like, do you want a list? You know, <laughs> And that just doesn't help. 
You know, there's a desire for significance that burns in your heart. I hope there is. Some people might tell you that that's pride. No, the desire for significance comes from your father, God. But I have discovered that when a person chases the desire for significance as an individual, it will lead to pride and security and the desire to prove prove yourself. I know because that was me. But when we understand that our significance will come with health when we're attached to a body that the Bible says is knitted and joined together, your significance will shine the way God intended you to shine because there's no one else like you. So how do I do this? Where do I personally fit in? Very quickly, I have three, two minutes. Be all in here at this church. Many of you came from other churches, and I celebrate that. Why? Because I know that you probably pioneered and worked and did all the crazy hard things there. So for people that have been here to say, well, they didn't see all the work. Well, they did it there. And it's the same kingdom. Yeah, it's the same kingdom. But if you're called to be here, be here. Be all in. (laughs) Francois, who remembers Francois? The singing prophet, we'll call him that. You know, whenever he preaches a sermon, I'm always like, ah, what's going to happen for the next year? Because he preaches in the next year. I'm like, yep, yep. He said this. He said, the word of the Lord for our churches, and he preached about people that, I'm not against them, I'm not against, but I'm also not for. I'm like, wow, that makes sense now. Because with all the growth and the stuff, God's doing it. God was, it's not like we're calling it, God did some stuff, amazing stuff, and he's continuing to do it. So be for. Don't just, don't be, I'm not against, be for. With all the stuff we have to learn. With all the stuff we need, if you ask to see me and I'm not available, don't complain. Pray for us. Don't complain. Complaining, friends, hear me, is demonic food. It feeds them. Mm, They enjoy it. It's like a little KFC. Yummy, yummy. (laughs) Friends, I mean it. Bring your strength. Bring your strength. Be in. Bring your strength, but bring it submitted. Because if you don't, it will lead to offense. In a culture that people know God, offense, gossip, slander has no place. No place. The big issues that everyone else freaks about, I actually want to draw close to those people. Quick story. One of the greatest, I don't know if it was a compliment or I, I started to cry. This man said to me, you really are a man of God. You know what that came from? Not many people have said that to me. He did something really not good. It had to do with stuff online and the internet and other people and just crazy. And this was a long time ago, so no one knows this person. And they sent all the stuff to the wrong person in our church by mistake to a woman. And so he came and he sat, literally came and he fell down like before me. It was weird. He said, my sin has found me out. He said, I don't know what to do. I sat down and I chatted with him. And I said to him, essentially, and there's a lot involved, I said, it's okay. We will cover you. And you have grace. And we love you. You know, he wept like a baby. He said, you really do love the Lord. He said, I've never encountered it that way. And he changed. It's not about pointing those things out. We We love those people. 
but we're family, serving family. Bring your strength. People all say, oh, I love family. I just, I want a church that's a family. Have you looked at your family? Family can be interesting. Yeah, family, a fish of many kinds. Many kinds, oh boy. Many kinds. Friends, people say, oh, I long for the early church. Can I just encourage you? There was exorbitant hospitality in the early church. You know those people that came for the Jewish feast, the 3,000 that were added? A large amount of them were Hellenists. Do we agree? Like people that came from out of town? Do we agree the Bible says that? Well, they stayed. Why do you think they lived with each other? Have you ever thought about that? They stayed. It's like people say, I'm going to come stay with you. Because hospitality was huge with Jewish feasts. Open homes and it's like a big... And then a whole bunch of them, maybe a thousand, maybe one and a half, who knows how many were from Jerusalem. They were like, yeah, I'm staying here. I got saved. Where are you staying? With you. They understood. Oh, you're my family now. Yep. I think some of those people were the ones who went home because it's years, hey? We think it's days, years. They went home, sold their stuff, left it, came back and gave it. They shared everything. Exorbitant hospitality. Exorbitant generosity. It's not about tithing. Please hear my heart. If you think it's tithing or not, do you agree? It's the wrong question. It's the financial system of God. And whatever that means to you. What are we doing? Building a culture where people can know God. There's nothing that I can teach you. No, that's not true. There are things that I cannot teach you that you can only get when you encounter Him. And if I try to teach you those things, it will be death to you. Because it comes from a changed heart and I cannot change your heart. But He can. Oh, and He loves you. He loves you. Why are we doing it? Because it's what God wants and what the world needs. And where do you, where do I, where do we personally fit in? We're family, serving family, which means what? There's no hierarchy here. I'm the same as every one of you. We're all sons and daughters. I just serve this function in this body for now. That's all. So be in. And I hope that was helpful to you.